Hey there, folks. Dan Fagell here with another episode on the Tech Emergence Podcast. And although we've honed in a good deal on ethics with Nick Bostrom and other particular technological focuses from life extension to artificial intelligence and beyond, rarely, if ever, do we get to talk about uh, the real political implications or ramifications of transhumanism and of emerging technology. Today, I'm lucky enough to have Zoltan Istvan on the line with me right now. He's an American writer, futurist, philosopher, and transhumanist. Uh, well known for his book called The Transhumanist Wager, which is a philosophical science fiction novel, uh, and for his announcing to be running for uh, president 2016 for the newly formed Transhumanist Party. Zoltan, how are you today? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me on your podcast. Yes, indeed. Glad that we are introduced. You know, uh, some folks might, you know, they're aware of, you know, they've read some of Kurzweil's work. They've maybe been on Bostrom's blog once or twice because I talk about it a good deal. Um, but... I'd imagine most folks that even have a casual interest in transhumanism may or may not be aware that there is such a thing as a transhumanist party. Um, for you, why was now the time to actually mobilize the transhuman initiative in a political sense? Why was this the time to kind of step up and get that done? Um, why was it opportune and, and, and uh, something that you wanted to take advantage of now? Well, you know, uh, transhumanism has existed for you know, 30 years or so, um, and, you know, it's been a small movement being pushed forward, but in the last few years, uh, the, the movement itself has gained quite a bit of uh, speed. It's, it's been, uh, frankly, it's been exploding inside. There's Indeed. a huge amount more supporters, um, but <clears throat> all movements that start uh, and that start growing eventually need to enter into the uh, the field of politics, I think, because to make an impact, if you're not making it on some kind of governmental level or some legal level, then you really aren't making that big of an impact. Most movements end up in the political sphere, including like environmentalism, for example, and stuff like that. Yep. So it was time to form the Transhumanist Party to get transhumanism involved in politics. And uh, that was the main reason that I started it. Um, you know, of course, we don't have much chance of winning this time around or, or even getting anyone into a, any type of office probably in the next few years. But our hope is that over the next uh, five or ten years, we'll be able to make the Transhumanist Party very large, hopefully as strong as the Libertarian or Green parties, and then really make an impact and also, you know, uh, impact transhumanism as a result. For sure. And, and I think that... Um uh, you know, it, it probably is realistic to consider the, the current sort of penetration of the ideas of transhumanism or popularity thereof or funding behind it. But um, I'm in complete agreement with you in the sense that, you know, a movement that wants to make a genuine impact, by golly, uh, doesn't the frameworks of, uh, you know, government, economics, education, you know, ultimately we're talking about political involvement if we want to uh, um, uh, have a genuine influence on a bigger game. For you, in terms of where you believe a transhumanist sort of direction uh, might be taken from a higher governmental level, you know, clearly there's some bigger picture, longer term visions for transhumanism and, and the, the potentials and possibilities of augmenting sentience and uh, artificial intelligence and life extension uh, are, are relatively far out and in many respects difficult uh, to, to, to prognosticate on. However, uh, what are the what are the kind of boots on the ground nowadays emerging tech or what you might refer to as transhumanist concerns that for you would be important even in today's day and age where the singularity is not here um, but emerging technology is still moving growing and you might have an influence in it. Sure, and you know that's a, a great question because 
one of the, I think, more important reasons that we formed the uh, Transhumanist Party now was we're trying to influence the 2016 elections, uh, presidential elections in America. And there are a number of incredibly important transhumanist questions that uh, should be addressed. I think the very first one, um, and the one that I think is going to be getting a lot of attention, is designer babies. Um, you know, there's this idea out there that, and people know it, that literally today you can already begin adjusting hair color, um, eyes, uh, the sex of your child, and you know, here in a few years, going to be able to do some uh, serious genetic restructuring where you might be able to make your child smarter or taller. And um, this this presents a, a wide array of challenging ethical issues for a huge amount of people who really might not be sure that the human being should be tampered with, at least on that level. And yet, at the same time, who doesn't want a child that's going to be in optimum health and optimum, uh, you know, kind of physicality and intelligence when they are brought into this world? Um, however, you know, I don't know if Hillary Clinton or Jeb Bush are going to be um, uh, tackling these issues because they're very thorny. I mean, if we think abortion is thorny in America, what about the idea of having all babies be a certain type of, you know, uh, genetic makeup? Yeah. That, that doesn't really go very well with the whole <laughs> diversity concept. Sure does. So this is a classic transhumanist uh, issue that I think needs to be addressed today since the technology is literally just arriving on our doorstep. And of course, there's also things like how will the military use artificial intelligence or should we spend a trillion dollars to eliminate heart disease, the number one killer in America, by advocating for robotic hearts, which has the potentiality in about a decade's time to wipe out heart disease? So these are some classic transhumanist questions that I believe should be answered literally today, and I wish more and more politicians were, um, were speaking about them. For sure, and I think that you know I, I make the analogy in some, in some instances around – uh, the environmental concerns and some of the more far-out emerging technology concerns having a bit of an overlap because like some of the concerns with the environment, um, they're not tremendously pressing when we think about what might happen. Oftentimes what is, what is being dealt with and, and very clearly what's going to command the minds of the populace is sort of what is influencing them now in very direct and overt ways. So uh, you know, politicians who want to rally a bunch of folks behind them, uh, or, or even who just have ideas pop into their mind, they're, they're more likely to be grander concerns and considerations that, that maybe more folks know of and are more present now. You know, it, it wasn't until we had a, you know, a, a, a swirling mass of plastic the size of Texas out in the ocean that, you know, we started you know, maybe seriously, or and some folks would say not even seriously enough, considering uh, bigger picture policy around environment and around, um, uh, you know, recycling and, and the ramifications thereof and things along those lines, because it was a little bit far out, you know, in the fifties or sixties, well, we need to take care of the environment. It's like, okay, I get it. At some point in the future, we'll have issues, but right now we got these economic things and educational things, and we need to tackle this now. Um, I'm with you. I happen to believe that, uh, at least to some degree, and I'm not neglecting practical concerns around education and, and economics that have nothing to do with transhumanism. I think that those are perfectly valid. Um, however, uh, I'm of the belief that you know when we begin tinkering with sentience or potentially creating human-level or, or beyond-human-level intelligence, that uh, shucks policy and, uh, and serious governmental initiatives will be uh, more or less imperative, being as these might be ethical considerations so much more vast and grand than anything we've ever dealt with, um, that they would just put, uh, you know, even even the atomic bomb and, and so many other 
grander considerations to shame. How do you get the populace, the government, maybe other international bodies to seriously contemplate concerns that aren't pressing on us now? You know, there has not been a, for lack of a better analogy, there has not been a Pearl Harbor of AI or a Pearl Harbor of Gentech that has frightened and shocked the populace into mobilizing itself. How do you bring that to the fore in a meaningful way and begin to make change without some kind of catastrophe or grand effect right now? Yeah, that, that's a, an excellent question, and I, I'm not 100% sure there's really an easy answer for that either, because it generally, as you pointed out, requires a Pearl Harbor of some type of situation in order to get everyone to say, oh, wow, we now need to do this today. Um, I think, though, what's one thing that is happening um, is the, the entire concept of transhumanism is slowly starting to engulf everybody. Um, and that's part of the reason you're seeing an explosion of interest in it in the last few years is we've been talking these concepts forever, you know, life extension, bionic arms, uh, uh, telepathy, uh, you know, connecting with the machines. <clears throat> and, um, you know, for most of the last 50 years, that's been science fiction. Over the last, I'd say, 48 months, a huge amount of people have crossed over and said, wow, this stuff is no longer science fiction. My, you know, I have two daughters and they will never drive. That's a fact. Um, well, I, I mean, I don't know if it's a full fact, but uh, <laughs> it's very likely that a four-year-old and a one-year-old, it's likely they will never have to deal with drunk driving accidents, which is a terrible worry of any parent. Why? Sure. Because there's going to be driverless cars on the road and they, there won't be anyone, uh, you know, anyone behind the wheel driving drunk at that time, you know, in 15 years time. This is the kind of technology that is changing the way we look at our worlds. And the more we think about it in terms of that, the more we realize that it's very challenging and that we're living in sort of the transhumanist age already. And I think by thinking about that and recognizing that, then you start to say, well, how can we actually take advantage of this? I think one of the biggest and most important fields of transhumanism is the life extension field. And recently, there's just been a plethora of media coverage saying, oh, wow, you know, we have a number of billionaires that are interested in living indefinitely. What does that mean for the rest of us? And what does it mean that they're now putting, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars into this field? And it's getting people interested. And it's also changing their sense, their cultural values, as they're saying, well, you know, maybe it doesn't jive, you know, living forever doesn't jive well with my religion, but I certainly wouldn't, you know, wouldn't want to not have a, an extra 20 years. So it's changing. There's a shift happening without that Pearl Harbor that's freaking everyone out. But at the same time, the shift for transhumanists is nowhere near as quickly as, you know, as we'd like it to be. Again, this is why we formed the Transhumanist Party, to try to make that shift quicker. I have a very certain philosophy when it comes down to this kind of stuff. Yeah, go ahead. The bottom line is 150,000 people uh, a day die. And I think that's completely needless. Um, I think if we had the proper technology, we spend a trillion dollars on a lot of the life extension technologies out there and you know, increase their development and made it more rapid, whatnot, we would end up being able to save a huge amount of people over the span of just even a decade. Now, we're, again, we're talking you know, 500 million, for example, lives. And I look at it in terms of that. I don't look at lives in terms of he's alive, he's dead. I look at it in terms of productive life hours, useful life hours, happy life hours. And I'm trying to get people to understand that dying um, 
is not, not a good thing. And therefore, we can stop it with the right technology, but we need to put our resources into it. And I want to convince them that death is that Pearl Harbor experience. And if they can just kind of figure, figuratively see that in their mind, they might say, well, you're right. Let's put some more money into this, more resources into this. And then all of, you know, everyone around the world would not have to uh, at least die so soon. They might be able to live to 120, 150, and who <clears throat> Who knows what technologies could come then? Yep. But that's one of the main agendas I'm trying to push and trying to convince people that, hey, it no longer needs to happen. If it's happening, it's because we're a complacent society that is worrying about buying trinkets at Walmart instead of worrying about you know putting our resources into uh, you know genetic restructuring of ourselves or something of that it, nature. Yeah, it, it's curious, you know, to think of uh, our complacent society. I, I mean, I. I, I to some degree, I ponder what societies aren't complacent. Uh, you know, I, I wonder if, on the whole, any mass of humanity, you know, is is uh, far thinking in and of themselves. <laughs> I I uh, I wonder sometimes. But but uh, yes, you know, it's it's certainly true that Justin Bieber's music videos have a lot more views than um, you know BrainGate's videos of of paralyzed folks, you know, answering emails and feeding themselves food with bionic arms plugged into the top of their skull. Um, and, and, you know, it might behoove us to, to get some attention on those matters that, that might be more ethically relevant. I, I, I wonder if, you know, without that Pearl Harbor-ish event, if there might be enough, maybe not necessarily shockingly horrific, but at least shocking enough breakthroughs. You know, the cloning of Dolly, for example, at least made some ripples. Now, I mean, I don't really know how much those ripples are felt today. I think there was a little bit of an aggregate shift in some some sense of, of moral okayedness, uh, you know, 10 years afterwards, as opposed to, uh, you know, the, the years leading up to that particular event. Um, but I'm thinking something along those lines with a, you know, particular breakthroughs and big media coverage on those things that might not shock people, you know, into uh, Terminator fear, although oddly enough, I think that might be fruitful in some sense. I, I wouldn't want to conjure it, but I think it might be fruitful. Um, but, uh, but might at least shock people into the real possibility and serious concern of this. Um, it, you know, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm wondering to myself, shucks, you know, what would that take? You know, if it wasn't big and tragic, what could be, what could be breakthrough it, you know, enough? Uh, and how could that be portrayed and conveyed in a way that would still be able to sort of rally the, the, the real uh, uh, ethical thinking of the populace and the real moral consideration of humanity uh, without something tragic? I don't know if you've seriously contemplated that uh, yourself. No, no. You know, I mean, this is, um, <clears throat> this is our, our biggest question is what you've just brought up as, as a party and even as my own, um, you know, my own work is sort of someone who attempts to popularize transhumanism. How can we get the attention on board? How can we make it so that the headlines in media, and I'm a big believer that media kind of determines much of what we do. How can we get it so that it throws a positive light on the future and getting to that future quick, you know, more quickly? Um, you know, we at, at the Transhumanist Party, we have a bus tour plan. I can promise you that it, it's going to be somewhat sensational uh that it's designed that way because we want to uh make it uh so it, it's newsworthy so that people hear about it um is there some kind of event that could be caused um i'm not 100 percent sure i you know my goal was that if i was able to rise to the level to the ranks of the different um presidential candidates and maybe be involved in a few uh debates or just you know be involved in enough media coverage and national news, 
all of a sudden, that would be very interesting. Uh, Wired Germany did a great piece. They said, "What if we had a cyborg as a president?" And I thought, "Wow, that's a, that's a you know that would be a shocking thing because it it sort of creates that image of well, what are we really you know as a species? How do we feel about something that's not necessarily fully human anymore?" Yeah. And um, so th- there, we are looking. We always are looking for types of events that can generate not only publicity but move the message forward. And I must admit to you, you know, as you probably know, I'm an atheist running as an atheist. And I I advertise that on my uh, campaign website very prominently. And uh, I think I'm the first atheist to do this. Um, And it's very important for me because I feel like one of the primary things that are standing in the way of at least American culture accepting um, transhumanism and accepting Putting the idea of putting money towards, uh, you know, their own longevity. Yeah, which, wow, you know, it sounds yeah. crazy, but why? Why doesn't everyone do it? I mean, I certainly am trying to do that because I want to live longer because I love life, and I, you know, I'm hoping that by doing that, we can reverse a little bit of the religious religiousosity that is in Americans. I, I'm a firm believer that it's culture and it's kind of being trained to be, you know, we live in a deathist culture where. We have trained, been trained that we need to die, where we, you know, we're going to meet some God in afterlife. None of those ideas are conducive for transhumanism spreading because transhumanism is completely and totally unnecessary if you have an eternal afterlife in a a heavenly paradise. It's like, well, you can, you're supposed to suffer on earth. That's kind of your plot. That's how God designed it. And, you know, that's why I said, like, for me, one of my main things is actually trying to spread not necessarily an atheist culture, but a culture that doesn't doesn't say take its its dictates from religion, which necessarily, uh, I think, kind of makes it so that transhumanism just can't really spread. So I also am trying to do big events in the atheist world in an in an mm. effort to kind of counter this this difficulty of spreading transhumanism through this this other kinds of means as well. Got it. OK. And and uh, and. And that that might, in your vision, uh, break down some of the, and it makes a lot of sense, uh, break down some of the uh, grander barriers to transhumanist thought or thought beyond sort of man as he is now, um, uh, being as, you know, some of the dogmatic dictates of of particular religions. Clearly, uh, you know, and, and there are some religious groups that seem to be on board and have found some way to make the ideas congenial, which is interesting because I think you can bend a religion in whatever direction you want. Um, but uh, but in general, you see that as a, a major barrier to adoption and potentially um, kind of the, the breaking down of those religious dictates uh, or the dogmatic adherence there too, uh, being part of being able to proliferate the transhumanist message. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, I mean, let, let's just be honest. Uh, you know, the transhumanist party is open to all sorts of cultural beliefs. Uh, you know, it's we're the least discriminatory philosophy and, and political party on the planet. We just accept anything. Um, but you know, basically, when you're talking about reason and science, you're talking about kind of these objective ideas of just saying, well, yeah, you know, we accept the. Uh, we accept we want to improve our lives and our bodies because we're in control of it, and we accept that we can use science and reason to do that. But we, when you actually look at what American culture is, and you look at presidents who swear on the Bible to get their job, and you know, it's very it's, odd. It's, yeah, it is very it's, it's odd. Just, yeah, it doesn't really compute. And um, I feel like our biggest religious holidays are, you know, they're they're religious oriented. We we need a, a kind of a secular minded approach. If we had that. I think everybody around us would say, well, now that we're all secularists, now that we're all sort of, you know, not worrying about uh, 
an afterlife. What is it we want to do with our lives? And I, I'm, I'm a firm believer that everyone would say, well, I want to live longer because life is cool. And um, if they want to live longer, they're going to put their money, they're going to put their taxes, they're going to put their resources into it. As soon as we put even a minor amount of resources into the field of transhumanism and life extension science, I can promise you within 10 years we can transform the world. I'm, I'm advocating for putting a trillion dollars into life extension science, which is a tiny, tiny amount. The, the world's net worth is about $400 trillion. Um, so I'm just advocating of putting a fraction to it. I'm certain that a fraction in 10 years would give us the ability to probably stop and reverse aging and the ability to do sort of things like 3D printed organs. Organ failure is one of the yeah. main reasons for death. I'm sure we could change the industry of life extension science. Currently, though, there's just a few billion dollars going into it. Governments are just not interested in keeping their people alive and making them live longer. And this is a tragedy. Yeah. And I'm trying to tell people, hey, this is a true tragedy. It, and it's and it just, you know, it's, it's, not, uh, it's, it's not top of mind. I mean, you know, it's, it's just not what they're seriously considering or they're sort of hearing the rumbles. But, A, it's not what's going to get them reelected because most people don't really know or care or believe. Uh, and, and, B, you know, it, it, it's probably not you know, the most pressing matter on their plate either. And so I think it's just sort of a consequence there. And, you know, for example, I do, to give, and I, I am not nearly, I mean, at some point I will be, but right now I am not uh, vehemently studying uh, all of all of the candidates and all of their beliefs. I think to, to give, you know, some politicians a little bit of credit, I think, um, you know, they're probably not neglecting people because they hate them. But I think, it, to your point, they're not maybe considering some of the farther ramifications that, that someone in a transhumanist party might be able to further uh, to really bring about transformative change. And, and, and actually, I think there's a lot more to speak on. You know, there would have to be another entire podcast on so the, the uh, repercussions of religious belief. And I'm very much with you that I think that there is a, a, a good deal of a, of a greater capacity to accept death. Um, and, and you had mentioned deathist. We had uh, Aubrey de Grey on over a year ago on Tech Emergence bring up the, the exact same term. Um, and, uh, and, and I think that the correlations with religion there are fascinating. One more, uh, and this is one of my final questions here as we wrap up. I'm absolutely having a blast kind of tuning into your perspectives here. Um, is you're speaking a good deal about life extension. Clearly has some, some pretty clear ramifications. If we're thinking about... You know, and, and it, it's, I'm not dogmatic about utilitarianism either per se, um, but there's a lot of ways to skin the ethical cat, so to speak. But if we are speaking in a utilitarian sense, extending life, by golly, that's got to be up there in terms of aggregately benefiting humanity, potentially, so long as those are good lives, like you said, productive, happy, fruitful uh, lives. As a transhumanist president, potentially, or someone in office or pushing forward initiatives, where are the initiatives in enhancing man? I would actually, I would make the supposition, Zoltan, I don't know if you're with me here, uh, that uh, the leap from sort of ape to where we are now was relatively grand and, and that we hold the life of a human more valuable than that of an ape, not because uh, our thumbs are more capable of, you know, uh, playing Xbox and, and we can, um, you know, we have less hair, but because our, our sentience itself is deeper and richer, our ability to uh, experience emotions, to relate, to create, to, uh, to intellectualize, to consider, that, that all of those factors are deeper and richer in our consciousness itself, and that if we can enhance those components, those components that seem to be the bedrock 
or of our own moral weight, never mind just the length of our lives, that that might even be of a grander ethical consequence. Is that even a concern for sort of the coming decades ahead? Is that a little bit farther out? Where do you see that consideration of the transition sort of beyond man, in addition to just the 400-year-old people walking around, you know, with their, uh, you know, fancy futuristic iPhones? Yeah, no, no. And that is a fascinating question. And it gets a little bit further out. I'm going to say within 10 to 20 years, we're going to start structurally changing the uh, actual component or the actual way we think, the way we perceive reality, the amount of senses that we already have. Yeah. Um, uh, by using means like virtual reality, by holographic imaging and just going in between out of normal reality and whatever might be a virtual reality and just by adding certain things like um, the biohackers add even magnets to their fingertips, which gives them a new type of sensation or, or you could just say a new type of sense. And um, I'm quite convinced that there's going to be a lot of brain implant technology that's yeah. going to allow us to shift in and out of, for example, like just drug experiences. That kind of perception, I'm not saying it's going to be a drug experience, but it could be some type of stimulation that is a totally different <clears throat> way that we perceive reality. But all these things in the next 10 to 20 years, and of course, it's already happening now, but it's going to start becoming kind of like commercially available in probably five years. And I think you'll have huge amounts of people plugging in in 10 to 20 years. Um, and that's going to structurally change how we feel about ourselves and society. And I have argued that I'm sure some people will live their entire lives within uh, machines and virtualized. All day. They're going to upload themselves. You know, that's 30, 40 years out. But I think eventually it makes sense to get to these other realities because there's a very high probability that we're going to all be super people in the digital world, which means anything you want to do, be like a dream state, anything you yeah. want, you'll be able to fly, you'll be able to do this, you'll be able to have, you know, <laughs> thousands of lovers, you know what I mean? Like things <laughs> dramatically change. Yeah. And the same thing, you know, maybe you won't have any lovers at all. Maybe you will actually be the perfect you know, sexless Buddha or something like that, that like you always want it to be. But either way, whatever it is, it's just there's a million possibilities out there and technology makes it possible. And maybe that in itself, once we restructure the way we think, and it's not just, oh, a nine to five and I, I you know, I go to Walmart afterwards and pick up my soda pop and, you know, sit in front of the TV and watch a, a sitcom, maybe life will change just because the technology has changed. I just argued this recently in my Gizmodo article that came out yesterday that um, politics in itself is going to change in 10 years. There'll be things like real-time democracy where you vote on your phone for bills and amendments. We might have artificial intelligences that are simply better than presidents no, uh, because yeah. they're, 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 they're honest. They're not, they're selfless and honest and they're not taking lobbyists money. You know, maybe we'll have budgets that are designed by calculators, you know, as opposed to budgets designed by, for example, attorneys. You can't, you can't trick a calculator and ask it to lie. And uh, you know what I mean? And I say calculator, I mean an artificial intelligence yep. that is perfect on math. Technology is going to change the entire world in 10 years. It already is doing so. But in 10 years, those changes will be very pronounced. And you're going to see every field, including the field of just, including just human thinking, changing in itself as this transhumanist tech kind of just overwhelms society. Yeah, and I'm I'm uh, when you had mentioned sort of the the people living inside of machines, I'm I'm uh, I think that that sort of deification, for lack of better terms, and I, I almost wish I did have a better term, but uh, that that capacity to really expand sentience, consciousness, intelligence, uh, feeling, sense in in whatever directions uh, we would like, as you had mentioned, sort of that 
that dream state, but it wouldn't be like a human dream state. We're, we're speaking about, like, monkeys can't imagine what our lives are like, and there's just absolutely no way for us to imagine the ramifications thereof in terms of our, our transition forward as, as just conscious stuff. And I think that uh, policy and forethought around how that transition goes, uh, goes about and comes about, uh, I think will be rather important. And hopefully, uh, you know, the efforts to, to bring these matters to the fore with the Transhumanist Party and, and uh, you know, conversations like this will be able to drum up a little bit more attention around these factors and, and uh, get more people to at least consider them seriously and ethically. I, 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 I believe that sort of the more folks we have awakened aware and uh, putting forth uh, ardent thought around sort of best uh, our best trajectory in this space, uh, the, you know, the smart folks that we can bring on board, that that'll hopefully produce sort of the better future if we can get more minds involved. Obviously, it's part of your mission too. Zoltan, I know we went a little bit over time. If people want to learn more about you, about the Transhumanist Party, potentially about some of your own initiatives, um, where would they go to learn more? Sure. Well, you know, you can go to my presidential campaign website, which is ZoltanEastvon.com. Or uh, you can also go to the Transhumanist Party website, which is transhumanistparty.org. Um, and I'm sorry, my first website was uh, zoltanishvan.com, with the .com as opposed to the .org. Yep. And then, um, you know, I also wrote a novel, The Transhumanist Wager. It's just a fictional philosophical story. People can read that and learn a lot about transhumanism. And then I have three uh, blogs, uh, Vice, um, Psychology Day, and Huffington Post. You just Google them and you'll you'll find them i write uh, once a week uh, an article for somewhere so uh, lots of lots of fun things to explore cool very good all right so we got some resources to reach out to zoltan thank you very much for joining us here on the tech emergence podcast hey thank you so much for having me dan i very much appreciate it hey thanks for tuning in guys if you're an entrepreneur or a future thinker uh, with an interest in businesses, transitions, or technologies that have the potential to alter human potential. And make sure you check out techemergence.com. It's our main blog site where you can see all of our other interviews with uh, top startup leaders, uh, entrepreneurship experts, and folks in the domain of technology, cutting-edge emerging technology. Uh, if you have a particular interest in how technology can affect the future of human consciousness and our conscious experience, and be sure to also check out sentientpotential.com. There we explore a lot of the ethical considerations and really serious moral matters of emerging technologies, in addition to interviews with great philosophers and technology experts of our day. Uh, more than anything else, always feel free to reach out if you can find us via email. Um, you can reach out to us there or whatever other way. Find us on the blog. Be sure to drop comments. We believe that the serious uh, conversation about the future is not only open-minded, but also interdisciplinary and multifaceted. So we'd like nothing more than to be able to glean your ideas as well. Uh, so with that being said, with the best of intentions for a brilliant future, this is Dan Fagella signing off. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>